Hey guys, welcome back to Chai Lab. We're on episode 38 with myself, Fultima. And your girl, Mina. And it's me, Wabia. And Naman. And last but not least, we have our lovely Sophia, who again, I'm going to let introduce herself because she's got a long list of just amazing things that she is and does. Mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> you all are so sweet. Asalaamu Alaikum, everyone. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Sophia Huck. Um, I am based in Southern California, born and raised on the West Coast. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Muslim Women Professionals. So we're a soon-to-be nonprofit organization that provides professional development for Muslim women. Um, our goal is to build the largest network for Muslim women um, and allow them to have the tools that they need to be able to thrive personally and professionally. Um, aside from that, I'm also head of operations at Glory Skincare. So we are a beauty startup that's black owned, uh, women of color run. We have a hundred percent team of women of color. Um, and our goal is to be able to provide clean beauty for melanin rich skin, um, which we feel is so important in representation, especially in the beauty sector. Um, I'm a grid 110 alum. So I just graduated from LA accelerator for entrepreneurs and I'm really proud uh, of that. Um, and Coming out of that, I realized that I definitely want to embrace being an entrepreneur more. So there's a few projects that I'm working on aside from that. And then I'm also an ambassador at the United State of Women. So the United State of Women is a nonprofit organization that provides tools for grassroots organizations to be able to uh, bring awareness to the important causes that they're doing um, uh, in the community, right? And give them a platform to be able to promote gender equity and promote their causes um, with more visibility. So through uh, USOW, I've shed light on organizations like Immigrant Defenders um, and Border Angels that are nonprofits doing work um, at the border, at the U.S.-Mexican border, wow. to provide legal advice for um, those who are um, seeking uh, asylum um, or seeking um, citizenship here in the United States. So I wasn't joking, guys, when I told you she does <laughs> all these amazing oh, things. You were. <laughs> I don't have a job for you to apply for, but I want you to work for me. <laughs> oh my God. We want to oh. work for you. <laughs> exactly. Inshallah, I would love that. That's literally my dream is to be able to like have businesses and, and literally just see like all like Muslim women and, you know, so many just women of color. Like that is like my dream. So inshallah. And I, and I know it's possible. Like my boss right now at Glory, she's a black woman. Our team is like 60 to 70% black women. We have some South Asian like myself and then uh, Latinas as well. And it's just like, it's just a different, oh my God. It's just like fantastic. I can't like, even I imagine love, it. Oh, I love it. Oh my God. It's just so amazing. We can be so honest with one another. Mm. Sometimes you, you even feel a little scared because you're like, wow, I'm not used to being able to just like say, you know, yeah. speak my mind, but I'm so grateful to have a boss who's always just like, tell me what you think. I want to know how can we do better? How can we be better when it comes to Muslim Women's Day? Let me know. We want to be able to talk about it. Um, when it comes to Ramadan, let me know so we can work around your schedule. We've chatted to Sophia before. We're basically already besties now. And um, <laughs> in our last conversation, we were talking about how our goals and aspirations include moving to sunny California. I just want to add to that, that I want to work for this company <laughs> because oh it sounds God. like yes, a dream. Yes. It's amazing. But yes, that is, I want you all to come to California. I did have a conversation with them. I love Canada, though. I'm not going to lie. I just want want to go to I'm gonna bring you guys all over <laughs> I'm gonna lure you over with maple syrup cookies yeah and Tim Hortons I want Tim Hortons and I want Tim an ice Hortons. cap yes. yes oh my god I feel like 
a few of my cousins actually married Canadians and so like on my dad's side of the family so everyone they're just like why don't you all marry Canadians and we're like why not let's just all marry Canadians at this point back to like what you were saying about just you can talk about Ramadan or you can like say to your boss or say in a in a workplace environment oh I'm gonna do this it's not like we can't hear but it's more just like one of those things you're always like okay these are the questions that are gonna come this is what I'm gonna and then there's always this like weird like oh everybody's going to lunch should I join them and then sit there or would that make <laughs> you feel awkward or like what is it so I think even you describing like this a workplace that is that could be like this, like the, it's like the potential Just of it. Just being it's aware, painful. yeah. But like, why, why isn't there more sort of workplaces that are like this? And like, even people of, first of all, people of color, then one section down, like women of color, and then Muslim women of color that are going into like entrepreneurship and this more and startups and this, this sort of sector more. Yeah, I think that unfortunately, um, the rates of Islamophobia, especially here in the United States have risen, right? I mean, even in our most recent election, we had, it was a, people forget, it was actually a pretty close election. You know what I mean? Like even this past, um, this past year. Um, and, you know, it's just so unfortunate because I, I think that that has definitely impacted a lot of Muslims' confidence in the workplace to be able to speak around some of these issues. Yes, you have some of these larger companies that incorporate things like employee resource groups, ERGs that are very, very beneficial. Um, one of my cousins works at a really large tech company and she's very involved in the, in the Muslim group there and, and they've done iftars and it's fantastic. But unfortunately, I think that a lot of companies don't care um, or they're all about performance allyship, right? It's like, let's get the token Muslim woman with a hijab on our website. And then you ask like, hey, so how many Muslim you know, women are in your company? And you ask that girl who wears hijab and she's like, oh, I'm the only one. So I definitely think that there's still such huge issues, especially here with that. Um, I think that specifically with women of color, I mean, even when you think about the, the pay gaps that exist, right? Like I was looking up statistics and it was Latinas make about, I think it was 55 cents for every dollar a white man makes. Black wow. women make 63 wow. cents of every dollar a white man makes. And Native American women are paid... Um, uh, I think I think it was also 55 cents for every dollar paid to a white man. So, I mean, you already have such a huge disparity, right, within the workplace already. Um, I think that, unfortunately, the truth is, too, is that we don't even know our rights as Muslims, mm. right? Um, yes, there is, you know, there is, um, you know, there are laws that protect us, like, for, for, like you know, re- freedom of religion, right, to be able to have that. But you still get a lot of Muslim women who are being discriminated against for wearing hijab you still have very um like microaggressions that can happen in the workplace right that are very difficult to uh not necessarily regulate but very difficult to even keep track of right i've had a few friends who've come up to me one of my close friends actually she works in entertainment and she was like sophia i wanted to talk to you because there's this boss of mine and I could, I swear he's misogynistic or sexist, but I don't know. And I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, tell me everything that's going on. And this is by a man of color. This is a, this is a man of color who's doing this to a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I, she told me and I was like, he's being sexist. Are you kidding me? And she's like, I don't even know what to do because the entertainment world is so small that word gets around. And if he says something, it's his word versus mine. So I don't know what to do. And so with her, I was like, okay, I always feel like a big sister to a lot of like my younger, um, 
like Muslim, like Muslim uh, girlfriends. So I was just like, I want you to write down every single instance that of when this has happened, along with the date and like time. I want you to keep track of every single thing. I was like, because clearly you don't have the tools or the means to be able to potentially go after him, like from from a legal standpoint. However, there may be somebody in the future who does, and if they do, you can come forward and have all of this as proof. I think that's the hard part is that. The reason why my boss is that way is because she's been through it too. You know, she worked in the corporate sector. Being a black woman, especially in the United States, is very difficult. It's a level of difficulty I will never understand. And I think that what she's doing is she's trying to fix the problem. She's trying to she's trying to solve it, right? Um, just even though it was never her problem, like it was never her fault to begin with, right? Like <laughs> the system was has been broken since the very beginning. It was built by, by white men. So for her, she's like, I'm going to, when I have my own company, I'm going to run it the way I believe it should be run, which is centered around inclusivity and equity and paying people what they deserve to be paid. And, you know, even with me, I negotiated my salary and she was so open to it. And I was, I felt like I was like, wow, if I didn't negotiate, like I would have, I would have like stayed with it in my mind. Like I would have been like, oh, terrified. Right. And here's someone who literally was like, yeah, we can do that. Like, absolutely. Um, someone who was just so open to that. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing is that women are still fearful of even negotiating. They, yeah. a lot of them don't have the tools that they need to be able to do. So you're in spaces where you don't feel uh, welcome or included. A lot of them are feeling tokenized. You, you're not even getting paid you're some some are getting paid just a little more than half of what a ma- uh, uh, half of what a white man would get paid. So when you have all these things that you're dealing with, it is very hard to be the type to be <laughs> to say like I'm gonna go against the grain and stand up for myself, right? Um, because especially with the pandemic that we're in and the times that we're in, it is very difficult. People are literally staying in jobs that they act that they actually hate because exactly. they have uh, food on the table. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I definitely think that this is where organizations like ours come in with, you know, we're doing a resume workshop next week, we're going to be doing um, a negotiating your salaries one after that, because we really feel like, hey, like, if, if, if Muslim women are really struggling in these ways, we want to be able to bring the tools to them to be able to 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 thrive in these spaces and, and have the knowledge that they need to be able to advocate for themselves. So is this as part of um, Muslim women professionals that you're doing? Yes. Hearing about this, I want to join because I would love to be able to have the skills that I've never been taught them. I have any time that I've had to negotiate anything. First of all, I've noticed that even as women, we're so conscious of it that even if I'm actually liaising and talking to a woman, when it gets to the point where it's about negotiation or something that will be a little bit more confrontational, they will literally hand it over to the man. And I'm like, I've been talking to you this whole time. Why is it that when it comes to this, you've now put the man forward and it's because they know that we've got that in their eyes from how we've been treated all our lives that I'm less likely to actually negotiate with you and stand my ground with you so I would love to have those skills so I think for myself I I didn't realize that there were people in the UK like when we talked the last time that you all were interested in what we were doing like I didn't even realize that and so now I think we're going to be much more mindful moving forward so we're even thinking like okay how do we do events in the afternoon our time so that way they can take part in it like at eight o'clock their time so we're definitely going to be more mindful moving forward you're worth it into at 2 a.m sophia trust me i've done it before and i'll do it again because (laughs) sophia is popping off on clubhouse and all her rooms um, which are under the muslim women professionals group are just incredible and they will be at like 2 a.m and whatnot because she's based in um 
LA and I'm like a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do like this is worth it I feel so guilty oh my god I feel so guilty literally it's so funny I've had to take a break from clubhouse because I was just like I, I just too much. need a break right now like because I get so passionate when I'm on there and so this to one of my friends I was like this just reaffirms my mentality that some people should just like not talk <laughs> like I was just like some people should just not just because some oh, of the things that come out of their the mouth corner. you know what I mean oh. yeah just no so like specifically for some of the men I'm just like you need to just listen okay because I feel like some people just this is a bad thing right it's like some people want to talk but it has no relevance to what they're about like if we're mm. talking about a women like women's rights or like gender roles why is like 80% of this panel men if yeah. if 90% of the conversation is around women because men feel like their opinion matter when it comes to women in general <laughs> you like yeah and you have to be really mindful because some people are not worth your energy because some people don't care to listen. They, they, they are very set in their ways and they're never going to change. So for them, it, what's mo most exciting is getting a reaction from you. I get worried because I see a lot of girls in these rooms and they believe this stuff. And yeah. so it makes me a little nervous because I'm just like, oh, like you need to really be careful about the information you take. And even with what I say, you know, take mm. it with a grain of salt and go uh, go see if what I'm saying truly is correct, you know, be, um, be independent and, and embrace uh, your ability to be able to search for the knowledge on your own. Um, yeah. I think I that's think what's so frustrating as well, because going back to your friend's story, so not only do we have to think about our mutual enemy, which we've all agreed is the, the original white man that's actually set this all up for us and made it harder right. for women and people of color, etc. But also now, because we have men from our own cultures and communities that aren't listening, that aren't seeing that things are an issue, then they're also not—they're also making it harder rather than easier. And so, if we we actually had more men specifically, but also people in general within our community actually listening in not just clubhouse rooms, but in general, and actually realizing that things are an issue, then we can address them before they even happen. Because I've been in so many rooms as well. And this could be about, you know, women that are working, women professionals, all the way to like marriage and just completely other topics. And they will start rolling things off their tongue. And the number of times that the women in the room mm -hmm. have to echo over and over the same point. And it's like, you're not listening. You just want to put your own point up there and continue mm. to be correct without actually addressing the issue. I think that like one of the solutions is, you know, and one of my friends said that she was like, you know, for those of us who choose to have children, because some people don't want to have kids and that's their decision. For those of us who do, it's going to be so important that we raise our, our sons, especially to be feminists and to be uh, advocates uh, and allies to women and to understand the systematic inequities that exist and um, you know, one of my cousins, she's, I mean, she's just done a fantastic job raising her, her kids. I'm like obsessed with them. They're so cute. And, um, my, my Canadian, no, this is <laughs> one that's very Canadian, but her husband actually is a revert and he's white actually. Oh, and she's Pakistani. And so for her, even she was like, uh, like in the very beginning when they were getting married, she was like, she's such a huge advocate in the community, but she married someone who was just as passionate about these mm. issues and understands his white privilege and uses it to advocate for underrepresented communities. And I just think that like my cousin has just, my cousin and her husband have just done a fantastic job of that. And, you know, even my little niece, she's like, I recognize my privilege because I'm Ooh. also half white and oh, wow. I'm half Pakistan. And I'm just like, how like what how do you just like like I just want to like if I have kids I just want to bring my cousin and be like let him know like, raise them 
give them the the spiel and but i think that it's so it's so important because it starts mm-hmm. with that and if you're able to teach these kids at such a young age like what actually exists they're able to be so much more mindful um and you know i think that that's the unfortunate part about a lot of these men is that they have been basically they understand their privilege and they don't want to give it up right mm-hmm. they don't want to give up exactly. their privilege and so you know this whole thing of allyship sometimes sometimes like part of my French, but sometimes it's bullshit for a lot of them because they ask you the amount of times I've been asked by a Muslim man, how do I be an ally? ally?" You know, and I'm like, okay, here's how you be an ally. And then they're like, all right, do nothing about it. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Because then he'll lose out on the things that he's getting and gaining from us being belittled. And I'm also like, don't waste my time. If you're going to be about it, don't just talk about it, be about it. Because this is the thing. They know that a lot of women are want to marry men who are feminists and who Mm. are allies. So it becomes a switch. Let me turn it on when I'm trying to, you know, be a certain type of way or, yeah, impress certain women. But let me turn it off when I want to get back to being able to have the privilege that I love having. Um, and it's it's exhausting. And I think that from a cultural standpoint, culture is the thing that's getting in the way. It's not religion. Religion mm-hmm. teaches us to be to, you know, to be allies to one another, for men to be respectful of, of women and to be able to embrace them and to be able to support them. And I, I think it's culture that really messes with things. Um, and then, you know, what ends up happening is that our parents' generation, a lot of them, and even some people in, the, in our generation now, they justify their cultural um, points of view by saying like, oh, this is actually religious and it's not. And so yeah. that's where a lot of people are brought up with like, well, this is what I was taught to believe. And it's like, no, that's not the truth. And it goes uh, back to being independent, right? Like just because you've been told something doesn't mean that it's true, whether that is from a cultural perspective, a religious perspective, a day-to-day professional perspective, you, you need to actually question things and find out for yourself rather than just going with the flow. It's hard, right? Because you're trying to figure out the, uh, you're trying to figure out what's, what's uh, true and what's not. Um, and, but I think at the end of the day, it's just very important that, that we take everything with a grain of salt and then we do our own um, research. Hearing you speak, Sophia, um, especially when you're talking about uplifting marginalized voices and the voices that are uh, sometimes erased or spoken over, um, one concept that keeps coming to mind is the concept of intersectionality, um, especially when it comes to empowerment, where a lot of the times um, we as Muslim women are left with a very complex understanding of what our identity is, whether it's the patriarchy um, and sexism that we face from Muslim men, whether it's the racism that we face in our respective communities, um, for example, black Muslims facing racism within the Muslim community, whether it's the Islamophobia that we face um, in the UK, in the US and Canada. Um, There are so many forces that kind of shape our identity as Muslim women. And a lot of the times, like when you're looking at, for example, the white feminism movement, um, a lot of the times, a lot of those voices are erased because it's mostly run by white women and the experiences of women of color are often erased, of Muslim women are often erased. And so especially with the work that you do at um, NWP, how do you make sure that you're marginal that you're uplifting the voices of marginalized um, women and making sure that you're taking an intersectional approach when you're looking at um, the different identities that make up um, the women that you work with? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. I feel like I feel like so much of what inspired me to first of all do this work was the fact that I felt like an outsider, right? I will never understand what black women go through. That is like another level of oppression, right? That has literally been towards the black community and the the ways in which the the black community has literally been dehumanized is another level. Um, I can only speak from my personal um, experience um, that ultimately allowed me to bring awareness to things that I didn't even know, right? Mm. But for me specifically, growing up, like I was, you know, I'm mixed. So my mom's Mexican, my dad's Pakistani. And now being mixed is like a cool thing, right? Or like it's kind of normalized. When I was growing up, it was not that way. Um, And I definitely feel like, especially as a woman, I was treated differently than like guys who I knew who were mixed and were... Mm. Like, it was so frustrating. And Mm. my mother went through a lot of uh, racism when she was, you know, when she first uh, reverted to Islam because of the fact that she was Mexican. And, you know, a lot of, like, South Asian, specifically Pakistani women would, like, disrespect my mom, like, so much because of the fact that she married a Pakistani man. Um, And a lot of people I know even nowadays, I think they get a little, like, insulted. Like, they're just like you know, like, oh, like, do you have to talk about it? Like a lot of Pakistani girls that I know are like, why does she, does she have to talk about it? And it's like, yes, the answer is what? yes. The answer of is course. yes. Yeah. For, well, I think it's for them. They're just like, well, not all Pakistanis are like that. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, but not all men I mean. are misogynistic. Are we exactly. just not going to talk about that? Exactly. Not everyone is racist. Exactly. What? And so I was very much like, I could give a, ooh, about that. Mm. And I will say whatever <laughs> I need to say, because that was my reality. And so mm. When I was younger, it was interesting because Arabs were actually really, really supportive. Like, you know, really? like a lot of, um, yeah, it was so interesting, like growing up, like, but now that I look back, it's because they, they, they live their lives with religion first. You know what I mean? They didn't allow their culture to get in the way of mm. religion. And religion for them was being able to understand that we're supposed to mix, right? We're supposed to embrace each other's communities and be supportive of one another. And so um, I really like, gravitated to that like I I loved being around those people who were so supportive like constantly feel like I just want to be treated like a human being I just want to be like respected in some sort of capacity why is it that people have to care so much about who I am and what I do and all of these things and then I think it wasn't until like truthfully like you know I started learning about like civil rights movement and all of that obviously in high school but you get like a you get it from a white lens right mm. and it wasn't until I, until I was in college and started doing the research myself and I was a gender studies major so I started learning about you know systematic inequities and gender inequity and all of that and then how does it affect black women versus like latinas versus white women you know I dealt with a lot of like white feminism when I was an undergrad too like at UCLA because you had women who were like well if we're talking about feminism then like you know, like, I don't understand why women wear hijab and it's oppressive. And that's where I would literally just come in and be like, first of all, your feminism is not the feminism. I was yeah. like, you're because literally. Equally, they want to just yeah. take their tops off and like swirl them off the top of their head. And, and like, I'm that just like, for you, but it doesn't work exactly. for me. Exactly. I was like, feminism is on a spectrum. And if you're so about the movement, you would sit down and be quiet and listen. Exactly. Because y'all are a part of the reason why we in this mess. Again, going back to what I said before, sometimes you just need to sit down and you need to listen. And, you know, when it comes to feminism, it is on a spectrum. Women practice feminism in different ways. Some women choose to cover up and be modest. That's their definition of feminism. If your definition of feminism is not wearing a bra and being able to, you know, wear a tank top and go out and do whatever you want to do, 
you should be able to do that. But guess what? Why are we competing with each other's mm-hmm. definition of feminism when exactly. we really need to realize what we're fighting is a patriarch? So stop, you know, louder for the guys at the back of the room. <laughs> they're not mutually exclusive. Like we can both exactly. work towards would... the same thing. Women against other women is actually like a problem that's just like, okay, yeah, in the in this movement, for example, in the feminist movement, but then in the work in the workplace environment as well, that's so common where you have like women that are higher up and suddenly they become like white men. Like it's like they completely forget their own struggle and they actually in some ways make it even harder yeah. and they're worse to like the women exactly. that work for them. And it's it's crazy. Like why are we like, why is this a thing? Why do we turn against each other when, it, when it's like when it matters most? Why do we do that? Why? Yeah. Well, there's not enough spaces. And that's a, that's a system problem. It's because we have we have said, oh, we want to be, you know, or we want we have these positions. One of them is going to go to a woman. That's why. Uh, mm. It's a system. It's a system. And so what happens is a lot of like white women, same thing. It's like they want to be able to have access to those roles, but then they also want to be allies. But then they also want to be the only one up there. And it's like the amount of white women that I know from like talking with friends who have literally, literally made them leave their jobs because they made their lives a living hell yeah. is like, I, could, I can't even count on two hands. Like it is because they also recognize that they can only bring so much to the table. We're living in a world now where it's getting mm-hmm. so much more diverse that their outlook they're on scared. the world is, <laughs> they're scared. Their outlook on the world is no longer going to be um, the, the go-to when maybe 20 years ago, even maybe 10 years ago, it was. Yeah. And and so I think the truth is, is that like women, women, we lack confidence sometimes because we are dealing with it in so many different ways. And so I feel like if, if as women, we can be more supportive of each other, especially, I think that that would in, in, like, that would change so much. Yeah. Um, and that's why even when it comes to even black women, black women are more than can be in more roles than just a chief diversity officer, right? That's been some of the things that have been yes. coming up, especially in the tech in, in the tech sector. It's like, why is it when you look at a team of of uh, of, of uh, the executive team of a company, the black woman is always in the ch- uh, chief diversity and inclusion officer position, or or given or sort of made to take on that role, even if their role is different. Exactly. They're kind of given this extra responsibility to then coordinate this like board of like diversity and inclusion. It's like okay, now you're literally impeding her from doing her job because you're giving her all this stuff that you don't want to do, but you should actually be at the table and you're the one who needs yeah. to live. Yeah, black women are not just made for that role. She's worked for your company for this amount of time. What role does she want? You know, mm-hmm. she is more than capable of being able to take on a, a, another role. Um, and again, no disrespect to those who are in diversity and inclusion roles. If that is your specialty and that's something that you that you have wanted to get to, amazing, because that's your decision, right? But we're talking specifically about companies that choose to just place black women in these spots um, without basically any choice, right. In, in those instances to be able to do so, but they can, but I, I personally just want to be able to see more women of color in, in executive roles. Like the fact that, you know, there's still such a small percentage of, you know, women of color in like C-suite executive roles, like on fortune 500 companies, it's just, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so especially when you look around and, and you see all these amazing first and foremost women and then also branching from that amazing 
people of color women like I always tell the girls I look around and just within our own little circle just even just within the frame of professionals the number of amazing Muslim women professionals that we have around us and then extending that beyond just our friendship group I mean it's overwhelming how many amazing women are out there and how overqualified a lot of them are to do loads of roles that they they don't really have much chance to get as a woman first and foremost let alone as I think it's also crazy that although um, there, like you said, there's so much to be celebrated on on the accomplishments of women in our communities. I think women are also faced with so much scrutiny when it comes to d- to the decisions that they make in their lives, whether it's um, staying at home full time as a mother um, or choosing a professional role in whatever capacity that they want or achieve, or trying to go after higher education. Whatever de- decision women make, they will always be scrutinized from 70 different angles of people making comments like oh like you're just staying at home why aren't you why are you not pursuing a a career or if you are pursuing a career why aren't you married sure you have a PhD but why don't you have kids like women's decisions and their autonomy over their lives is constantly scrutinized um, from a bunch of different directions and I think that sometimes really affects the way that women view themselves and view success in whatever capacity they think success is and I think it really it really does take a toll on women in terms of how um, how they make decisions on their lives as well yeah I think that's the unfortunate truth is that people are always going to have an opinion people feel like they have the right to dictate what you do which is absolutely hilarious because culturally I think that from like a community perspective a lot of our parents came like for example mine like you know to the United States like community meant a lot right community meant creating you know having a group of people who maybe look like you um you know in some way that you could really bond with right and building like a second family almost right and for them like it was so important because again they're not from like their home countries right my mom was in New Mexico my dad was in Pakistan mm. now they're here and so community played a huge role, a huge role in shaping, you know, the next generation. Um, I think that the unfortunate part about that is we have created this, this, this idea that other people have a right to dictate what you should be doing in your life. Um, other people have a right to say things that are inappropriate, to belittle you because they think that they can. And I think that Honestly, I think the one of the ways in which we can solve this is by setting boundaries and honestly, like talking back. Like, I know that some people are like, you know, don't disrespect the auntie. I'm like, I'm not going to disre- disrespect anyone who doesn't disrespect me. I get I give what I receive. So if you're going to be shady, <laughs> you're I'm going to be, be best right friends now. with Mona then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Because here's the thing, I think it's not even like coming from malicious, it's not coming from a malicious place. But if somebody says something to me, like, you know, uh, why aren't you married yet? And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry, I only have like a nonprofit, I'm starting a full time job and like three other things. Sorry, I don't really have a lot of time for that right now. But what about you? What are you doing? Nothing. You know? She's just that judging everybody I, else. Yeah, it's like, no, you're on Instagram all day, like creating a facade about your life. I said what I said. Ooh. Like, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm, and this is specifically for people who do do that. Like, they literally mm. just want to find ways to disrespect other women. And it's just, you know, I think that we just need to realize that, like, what culturally we may have been, we may have seen, you know, in places like Pakistan or Lebanon or whatever the case may be. It's just like, it's just, there's no one size fits all model for things like this. There's no right or wrong answer. If a man can support his family with just his income and his wife chooses to stay at home, 
they should be able to do that. Like, let them be. If I choose to have a career and so does my husband and we are working, that's our decision. And so I think we need to just be more supportive of things like that because you're absolutely right. It's like, we're out here trying to make moves and trying to like embrace our community. The truth is, is like, there are still not Muslim women in a lot of executive roles, right? And those people have power. Those people have influence. So, you know, when even we're talking about traditional versus non-traditional careers, not all Muslims should be doctors and engineers and lawyers. We need to be government officials. We need to be, um, you know, we need to be entrepreneurs. We need to be, um, you know, investors. We like, you know, we need to be across all these different areas because those areas also have influence. We need to go into Uh, politics, into policy, into into the university like I'm, I always I'm always like going on about this because it's like that's I feel like we've done our like our communities have done yeah obviously the first tier was like yeah to get those jobs that are are stable and are like that have good incomes and that was engineering being a lawyer being a doctor right that's it but then and so that's good but now we 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 really are doing ourselves a disservice by not going into not going to entrepreneurship not you know like going into government, into policy, into lawmaking, that, because that's where the biggest differences are if you actually want to make, if you want to see some change, like that's where we should be going. Exactly. Look at, look at like AOC. And exactly. Like yeah. Just in the, in the past that's few it. years, that has changed so much, you know, how people are not getting called out for being Islamophobic, right? Yeah. Or anti-Muslim, like, it's inc- it's insane. Why? Because now we have people who look like us in those spaces, and they understand. Uh, they understand. And they understand really. it exactly. And it's like what I love is like AOC is Latina, right? She's Puerto Rican, and I love that she is a to me is like a, a like such an amazing ally to Muslims um, because of you know like the fact that she's so close to like Rashida and those other women as well. Like it's just so fantastic to me because I'm just like wow, like. And I feel like it's important for people like myself who are entrepreneurs, like this is where you can help people get to where they are, right? Supporting them financially because you need money to be able to yeah. get into these roles. You need to be able to have, um, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm very much like anti-corporations and all that stuff, but like, you know, even getting donors, right? Like mm-hmm. Muslim donors, people of color donors to be able to donate to some of these campaigns, right? To be able to um, bring awareness to these issues on a larger scale, yeah, um, because- and these like grassroots like you know mm-hmm. movements that aren't funded by the top whatever 10 corporations like that those are the only ways that and it's, at least we can see some of that and so it's hope like there's the future looks hopeful in that sense because you can see that happening right now i think to get there we have to really undo the me first individualism that's been ingrained in us and in society in general for so long that in order for you or your community to succeed it has to be on the backs of others and I think that once we undo that and once we see things from a more communal perspective and understand that empowering others and uplifting marginalized voices will actually do a lot better rather than just like trying to scramble to the top um, on the backs of others I think I think having a communal and solidarity lens will really help our communities move forward and actually be more successful when we're helping and empowering each other. 
Here's the thing. I think that a lot of us were taught this growing up. Um, I was fortunate that I wasn't, but I definitely know people who were, where it was like, do you focus on you? And then when you get to where you need to be, then you help people. And it's just not realistic. It's just not. Because at the end of the day, like the sooner we can get people to uh, support each other and be allies to one another and help each other, like there are so many communities who do this and they are so strategic about it. And that's how you see multiple like people in their community in executive roles because they've always been allies to one another. It was like, when I think of a job and a job that I need to fill, I'm going to reach out to someone in my community. Mm. When I think about someone I want to uh, bring on on my team um, or I want to hire a florist or I want to hire an engineer or something like that, I always think of my community. That's where I hope for our community to be um, because I don't think that it's realistic for us to have this mentality that, you know, um, uh, I am you know, going to get the spotlight and blah, 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 blah. No. It's not like that anymore. Maybe like 10 years ago, it could have been. It's not like that anymore. Muslim women, there are so many Muslim women doing fantastic things. I realize that like, I am not the only Muslim woman and I don't want to be like, quote unquote, tokenized as the Muslim woman or like the the representation of all Muslim women. No, we're like multifaceted and it shouldn't be that way. Um, and I think that it's been that way for so long that it's our job to also hold ourselves accountable to be able to be like, Yes, I'm one person. I don't represent this whole community. Here are some other Muslim women you should look into. Um, here are some Muslim men to look into. Like it's it, you know, and I think that it's steps like that that are really going to make a change. Because um, here's the thing: I think a lot of people who are used to being able to do that don't want to give up that power either. Some women like being the token Muslim woman. Fine. They like the power that it comes with, Fine. and it's the truth. Because that what that says is you are insecure about other people's Mm -hmm. contributions into a specific space. Mm -hmm. So you're going to prevent them from being here. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, as, as women, we need to stand up for ourselves a little bit more. We need to be more outspoken. Also, like, I'm going to be honest, like, especially like now that I'm, so tomorrow's my birthday, actually. I am turning 29. Happy birthday from China. Thank you so much. So yeah, so I'm turning 29, which is like very crazy, um, inshallah. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I've realized too is um, setting boundaries with even the people that you keep around you. Um, I think that sometimes out of convenience, we keep people around us because we're like, well, we're in the Muslim community and everyone's so intertwined and Mm. it's kind of awkward if you cut someone out and like you don't talk to them. But I think now I'm very much having that like I don't give a hoot behavior where it's very much like sometimes you do need to draw those boundaries the same way that it's important to draw boundaries with friends, mm. with family members. It's so important, um, even with coworkers. Sometimes some coworkers are yeah. problematic. You need to draw boundaries with them and 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 not give them access to you. And you also need to recognize some people are are going to want to have access to you because they know what you're capable of and they want to be able to have a have a say in or not even a say, but have a connection towards you because they're like, what is she going to do next? I don't know, but I want to be able to be close enough to where I can get insight. And unfortunately, people are like that. And I recently have really made it my goal moving forward to really just like not cut people off but like distance myself from people who I truly believe don't have my best interests at heart and truly um, don't support me in the way that I maybe support them and I think that again like as women we're taught like that's selfish that's rude 
and I don't believe that that's the that that's the case. Um, going back to what Naman was saying earlier about like you know being you know very multifaceted, right, and being allies, I think that a lot of the times like very very difficult. Like you said, like we're battling a lot of different things. Not only are we battling a workforce where we don't feel embraced in a lot of ways. Sometimes we're dealing with a lot of cultural gender norms. We're dealing with families that may not be sometimes supportive of us. Um, you know, we're dealing with people feeling the need to dictate our like, you know, relationships. Um, and I feel like at the end of the day, at the core of it is like self-love and like self-care. And so I think it, that's what it starts with. That's first and foremost. Next, I think is really just continuing to educate yourself and, you know, there's so many amazing resources, you know, whether it's donating to different organizations. Um, and I think just, you know, getting involved. Um, I think that people underestimate the impact that they can have. And I think that even for myself, like when I was younger, like I didn't, I didn't know what I would do. I just knew that I wanted to be a leader and I wanted to impact people and I wanted to inspire people and I wanted to make people feel more like confident in who they were because of the fact that a lot of people did not make me feel confident when I was younger and who I was. I was like, if you're a black woman, if you um, are mixed, like whatever the case may be, like, I want you to feel empowered. And, um, and so I think it's like, even for me using my influence or whatever platform that I have to be able to bring awareness to these issues. Um, I just want to end on you actually telling us a little bit about Muslim women professionals, how anyone can get involved, how, what we can do, because honestly, it's such an amazing initiative. And the fact that you've been doing this voluntarily for three years and all the hours, you it's very obvious how many hours you put on there because the content that you guys have is just so amazing, so useful and much needed. Like when I came across it, I was like, where has this been all my life? Like, is this really a thing? That's so sweet. That really does mean a lot. Um, uh, so yeah, so I started in 2018. I think like so many others coming out of undergrad, I was very much kind of lost. I didn't have a lot of mentors, did not have access to professional resources. I was kind of in these networking spaces where it was very much like, you know, so much alcohol everywhere, like didn't know how to navigate it. I was like, so what do I do? You know, I just didn't know how to navigate these spaces. Um, you know, I didn't really have a large network like professionally. And so I, I, was just kind of like lost. And I would have these conversations with other Muslim girlfriends of mine, and they were also lost. And they were just like, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. And I was like, that's so interesting, right? And I was working in, you know, the fashion sector at the time, fashion retail sector, and at the time, and I, I just like, was not happy at a certain point, like, I just didn't feel appreciated. I just was felt like I was so overworked, my mental health was really bad. And I was like, you know what, I want to pursue this idea. Um, I'm going to you know, give it my all and just kind of see where it goes. And, you know, it was a, it was, it was a, a few months of very difficult hard work in creating the organization. We were having coffee chats. Like we decided to just start off with coffee chats where we would just gather women together. And so in the beginning, it started off with four of us, like having coffee at a coffee shop and just talking about different topics. And then it went to like eight people and then it went to 15 people and then it went to 30 people. Wow. And then pretty soon, like we couldn't fit in coffee shops because there were so many of us um, in these spaces. Um, and alhamdulillah, like, you know, fast forward, it's been three years since I started it in January of 2018. And I'm so grateful because we've been able to create um, 
amazing resources for Muslim women, whether it was like through content, right? We've created content around building male allies in the workplace, how to talk about your religion in the workplace. We've had events around like networking events where we've taught women how to network. We've had panels around, um, you know, Muslim women in entrepreneurship and in law. Um, we've talked about some of the struggles that we've gone through in the workplace. Um, you know, we've helped what Muslim women build um, their skills. Right now, we have a level up series that uh, we started, which is basically like leveling up professionally. So it's going to be resume building and consultation, negotiating your salary, like amazing tools for Muslim women to be able to learn. Um, and, you know, through it all, it's really been about helping Muslim women embrace their identities. And so when we started Clubhouse, it was really about allowing Muslim women to have the space to be able to interact with one another, especially given the pandemic. And we're just very grateful. So we're soon to be nonprofit. But if people are interested in getting involved, they can find us on Clubhouse. They can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. We have a monthly newsletter as well that goes out. So they can sign up for that on our website, MuslimWomenProfessionals.org. Um, and if they are interested in getting involved, you know, we we have positions that open up every few months. They can also find out about that via our social media platforms, too. Um, and right now we're we're virtual, but inshallah, post pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen. But um, we definitely have some amazing uh, content that we're preparing for the next few months. Oh, I can't inshallah. wait, honestly, to see inshallah where it goes, because. It's just honestly amazing. If anyone hasn't checked it out already, make sure to go check out Muslim Women Professionals and Sophia on Instagram as well because she's always up to amazing things. Truly, truly an inspirational person. And I'm so glad that we were able to steal a bit of your time today and chat to you because it's been a pleasure. And hopefully we can have this sit down properly with a cup of chai, either in London or Cali as planned. Oh my God, yes, <laughs> please. I um, saw your campaign with like this chai company and I was like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I wish I was in <laughs> London right now for that. Oh, but I'm but, so grateful to have the opportunity to be on here and talk with you all. Oh no, thank you so much. Honestly, you've just given us so many gems and we can't wait for our audience to listen to it. Um, like she said, go follow Muslim Women Professionals on Instagram and is it Sophia.hawk? Uh, Sophia two underscores hawk, H-A-Q. That's it. Um, and yeah, until next time, guys. Bye. Assalamu alaikum. Au revoir.